Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, as we continue along in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Exodus. Father, we pray this morning that as we've worshipped you, we've poured out our heart to you. Lord, we believe that you've received it. You've received it, Lord, because it's been our intention to offer to you in spirit and in truth. Because of who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross, you've opened up this new and living way for us. And now, God, we believe that you want to speak to our hearts through your word. We believe what your word says, that that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And so we're, we're so happy to bring our hearts and humble them before your word and say, speak to us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Exodus chapter 5, we come with Moses and his brother Aaron, although our text this morning doesn't really say much about Aaron, other than just to say that he was there. But they come from the wilderness, from their great experience with the Lord, to Mount Sin- from Mount Sinai to now the courts of uh, Pharaoh in Egypt. And it's going to be quite a confrontation. We're going to see what God has to speak to us about how God wants to confront such things in, in our life, in the world in his great plan as we take a look at this, starting Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, I don't know exactly what this scene looked like. I know what Cecil B. DeMille thought it looked like. Cecil B. DeMille thought that, you know, Moses was there in the midst of many foreign dignitaries, those from Ethiopia, those from Assyria, and and Moses was just another one coming in in a very public sort of setting before Pharaoh. It might have been like that, or maybe this was somewhat more of a private audience between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. We really don't know, but we do know this, that as Moses stood before that man who was called the Pharaoh of Egypt, He stood before one of the most authoritative and powerful men to walk the earth in his own day. Don't forget that Egypt was a mighty empire that had stood for hundreds of years before the time of Moses. And that man, Pharaoh, that stood before him, Pharaoh was nothing like what we would call in our modern age a public servant. He didn't exist to serve the public. The public existed to serve him. That's the idea of a pharaoh. That's the idea of a king. His power and authority were supreme. There was no constitution. There was no law or legislature or or anything that was remotely equal to him in power. In the Egyptian mind, the pharaohs were something like gods. They sat in temples and received praise and received adoration very much like the other gods of Egypt did. And so there's Pharaoh with all of the ambiance, all of the aura around him projecting the idea, Moses, I'm more than a man. 
I'm a God. I sit in judgment of you and of all of the people of Israel. Now come and tell me what you're going to tell me. But as Moses stood before Pharaoh, he had a tremendous advantage. Because Moses, as a young man, if you remember the story, as a young man, Moses lived in those very royal courts of Egypt. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. He walked those halls, and it must have been a strange thing for him to return to those places and see those people. And I don't know if they recognized or really remembered him, but Moses must have recognized at least the surroundings, if not the people. And Moses had this tremendous advantage that when he stood and looked at Pharaoh up on his raised platform with all the adoration and the trappings of glory around him, Moses knew something. You're just a man, Pharaoh. You may think of yourself as a god, And all these people around you may treat you as a god, but I know you're just a man. And so that's why I come to you, Pharaoh, and I deliver a message in the name of the Lord. Did you see it there in verse 1? This is what he said. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, please, I don't know if you've ever really noticed it before. I have to say that it never really struck me as deeply as it did this time until this time when I taught through the book of Exodus and studied it afresh this last week. When God used that phrase, let my people go, it wasn't Moses speaking of his people. Moses was not speaking as a representative of ethnic Israel coming before in sort of this democratic way and saying, Pharaoh, let my people go. That wasn't it. Moses delivered a message from the eternal God and said, Pharaoh, this is what you need to understand. The eternal God who lives in the heavens says this, let my people go. The people didn't belong to Moses. Who did they belong to? They belonged to the Lord God. Now, this raised a little bit of controversy in Pharaoh's mind because Moses thought, excuse me, Pharaoh thought he knew whom the people belonged to. Who did Pharaoh believe the people belonged to? himself. Can you imagine how that arose in Pharaoh's heart? Let my people go. Well, I don't know who you think this God is, but he's confused about something. Those are my people. I'm the king over all this domain. All the Egyptians belong to me, and especially the slave people of Israel. They belong to me. Get that straight within your heart. Get that straight within your mind. But you see what a powerful message it was for Moses to deliver. Pharaoh, you let my people go. That's what the Lord God of Israel said. Now, there's a very important principle there that I could probably spend the rest of our time together here talking about, but I'm just going to touch on it very briefly. And the principle is simply this. Those who belong to God should be free. If God looks at you and says, my people, then you should be free. You shouldn't be under the domination of any person. You shouldn't be in bondage to any addiction. You you, you shouldn't be in slavery to any kind of sin, to any kind of torment, to any kind of bitterness or anger or, or vice or anything like that. God intends His people to be free. Now, of course, there is a servitude we have to God Himself. You could say this. If you are a slave to God, you should be free to absolutely everything else and say, as a free man, as a free woman, I'm going to serve the Lord my God and honor him with obedience to my life. But Moses had to come in and confront Pharaoh on that very question. 
Pharaoh, you think you own these people. They, they, they seem to be in bondage to you. But no, the Lord God in heaven says this, let my people go. Now, look at Pharaoh's response in verse 2. The first thing Pharaoh says is this, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or the sword. Pharaoh gave a very logical response to this. Please remember, Pharaoh knew all kinds of gods of Egypt. I don't have an exact count for you, but the Egyptians worshipped dozens of gods. I know a lot of gods, Pharaoh said. I know this god Osiris, I know Isis, I know uh, Ra, I know this, I know that. I know a lot of different gods. For some reason, I don't really know this god you're talking to me about, Moses. Who is he? I don't recognize him at all. And he says, because I don't recognize him, I don't feel like I have any obligation to obey him. Who is the Lord? Now, by the way, that's not a bad question. I don't think Pharaoh asked it as a bad, uh, in, a, in a good heart. But I think it's not a bad question to ask. Matter of fact, I sort of find it fascinating to compare Pharaoh's question with Moses' question. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, Moses asked a question. Moses' question in Exodus 3.11 was, who am I? Pharaoh's question is, who is the Lord? You know, and that's actually a better question to ask. Now, I'm not saying the question of who you are is irrelevant. But I think it's only going to be answered with any kind of certainty, with any kind of conviction, once you get it straight in your mind, who the Lord is. He says, I don't recognize this. And the Moses says, no, please, please, Pharaoh, let us go three days journey into the desert to sacrifice to the Lord our God. Let us do this one small thing. Please just agree to this. Let your heart be softened to us. Or who knows? And did you see it there at the end of verse 3? He says, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or the sword. And I find it very interesting that Moses seems to include Israel there. Don't do it. If you don't agree to this, something bad is going to happen. Won't you please agree to this uh, request? But look at Pharaoh's response in verse 4. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they're idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. Now, not only did Pharaoh refuse the request that God brought to Pharaoh to let his people go, but God added, excuse me, Pharaoh added on to it the idea of, I'm going to give you more work. The whole reason why Moses and Aaron appear before me is because these Israelites have far too much time upon their now uh, upon their hands that the people of the land are multiplying. They're many now, he says in verse 5, and they're idle, verse 8, therefore they cry out. The thinking is something like this. Listen, Moses, Aaron, you and the Israelites, you seem to have enough time to make these crazy requests, then you have enough time for more work. Put you to more work, 
put them out upon it. And so Pharaoh commanded that the Israelites had to gather their own materials, specifically straw, for making brick. I don't need to go into a whole construction thing right now, but just to tell you this, the ancient Egyptians made a lot of bricks to do their building projects, and in making their bricks, they've confirmed it archaeologically that they used a lot of straw. The straw was used not only to bind the brick together, but the straw also contained a a sort of acidic content that bled out into the chemical composition of the brick, and it just made for stronger, better bricks. And so basically, Pharaoh said... You've got to keep the same quota of bricks up, but you also got to gather your own straw. I've just increased your workload. Thanks a lot, Moses and Aaron. Good job on arguing on behalf of your people. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine the big day of success? Moses and Aaron finally bring up the courage to go up and confront Pharaoh. And in the name of the Lord, they tell him, let my people go. And it just makes things worse for the people of Israel. How much worse? Look at it, verse 10. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Now please understand, When Moses and Aaron first came from the wilderness and announced themselves to the children of Israel, they were very warmly received. Yes, you're our deliverer. Moses, you're the guy. You're the one who's going to go confront Pharaoh. Go do it. And as soon as Moses does it, does it get better or worse for the children of Israel? Almost immediately it gets worse. And might I say, much worse They had much more work to do. They had much more severe punishments. Verses 13, 15, and 16 say that the officers of the children of Israel were beaten. The freedom of all of Israel was the goal in this. And so all of them had to endure this struggle until liberty was gained. It wasn't just Moses. Now, how do you feel about this? Friends, Moses and Aaron weren't the ones being beaten. But it was the common working men, the officers, the the, the leaders, the supervisors of the work. They were suffering most directly for the request that Moses and Aaron had made. And you can just imagine the turmoil, the dispute, how all of this happens in the mind and the heart of the children of Israel. They said, we've done something wrong. This isn't working out the way that we expected. I can just draw a very quick principle to this that's been repeated in the life of many a child of God since the days of Moses in the Exodus. And it's simply this. When a person gives themselves to God and starts getting things right in their life and God starts moving in their life, there's oftentimes a season when it gets worse before it gets better. And that's why it's very important for you to yield your life to Jesus Christ upon the right basis. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that nobody has said, I'll yield my life to Jesus, I'll be his follower, as long as he makes my life easy and comfortable. 
Because sometimes it's just not going to work out that way. It absolutely will not. And if the measure of your commitment to Jesus is, okay, as long as you work it out the way I want you to, then I'll be committed to you, that's just not going to shake out very good. You're going to find a very similar situation than what the Israelites experienced here in Egypt where God really was moving. God really was doing something, but at least in the short term, it got worse before it got better. Sometimes it just works like that. Sometimes when evil is confronted, when evil is confronted in the world, when evil is confronted in our lives, it gets worse before it gets better. And I can just imagine the children of Israel crying out to God, saying, what are you doing, Lord? Crying out to Moses, Moses, you've messed everything up. What are you doing? And God looking down from heaven and simply saying this, it's all going according to my plan. No, wait a minute, God. I thought your plan was to make my life comfortable and easy. No, no, you understand. You misunderstand my plan. My plan is to bring liberty into your life and to bring transformation and new life. And sometimes doing that will bring into your life the greatest blessing you can imagine. And other times, it's going to flat out be a struggle. I always feel a little self-conscious talking about this as a pastor and speaking to God's people about it, or perhaps those who who are yet to be God's people, because I always wonder, there's two extremes I could go off on that would both be an error. The two erroneous extremes go something like this, is to paint the picture that the Christian life is like some wonderful, you know, walk through the park. There's just daisies and blessings and just wonderful, you know, pennies dropping from heaven, and it's just great. There's just this beautiful, it's just wonderful, nothing but blessing all the time. That would be wrong, wouldn't it? And then there's another extreme I can get off on. The other extreme would be to present it like this. Oh, listen, you come to Jesus, he's going to mess up your life in some way often. (laughs) No, 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 no. Can you sympathize with me just for a moment here as a preacher? You see, I, I just want you to have the right conception That God, as a loving Father in heaven, knows exactly what we need and when we need it. And there are seasons when you need just that blessing poured out from heaven and God gives it to you. And there's other times when you and I, though we may not feel it or choose it, you know what we need? We need the struggle. You need it. It's what God has ordained for your life. And this was a time when Israel, though they did not know it, they needed the struggle. Let's continue on here. Verse 15. You'll see what I'm talking about. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, Make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, this is Pharaoh's response, You are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given to you. Yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Okay, Moses and Aaron go in and speak before Pharaoh. Pharaoh does not respond kindly. He says, you guys are idle. You're lazy. I'm going to give you more work to do. So they give more work to the Israelites. They're cracking the whips upon them, literally so. 
They're suffering terribly under this. And the leaders among the people of Israel say, look, let's go appeal to Pharaoh. Good heavens. You know, they come and they come very humbly to Pharaoh. They come before Pharaoh in great humility and they say, Pharaoh, we are your servants. Did you see them repeat that phrase a couple of times? They cried out to Pharaoh and they said, Pharaoh, would you please help us? Ladies and gentlemen, there's something sick here. There's something very sick that the children of Israel in their affliction did not cry out to the Lord. They did not even go to Moses, their God-appointed leader. Instead, they went to the one who put them in slavery to begin with, and they appealed to him to make it better. I take it that you don't have a literal Pharaoh over you. But you may have something close enough. You may have an addiction in your life that is just as um, requiring of your slavery and your commitment as Pharaoh was of the children of Israel. You may be in such bondage to something spiritually to something emotionally, maybe even it's physically, that you are in absolute bondage. And I'll tell you how the story goes oftentimes. I can't say that this works in this pattern every time, but it's common enough. Here's how the pattern works often. You're in this bondage. And listen, I could start listing off a dozen things that you could be in bondage to and just hope that it hits you. Why don't you just take it with whatever it is and save me the spare me the list, okay? Just... It's your thing, whatever your thing is. So you're in bondage to this particular thing, and then you know what? You decide that the Holy Spirit works in your heart and just awakens you and prompts you. You've got to be free. It's as if Moses has come and spoke to Pharaoh in the name of the Lord, let my people go. And you hear it and your heart rings and you go, yes. And so you say back to that, that, uh, that bondage bringer in your life, that addiction, that, that torment, whatever it is, you say, no more. No, I'm done with you. Forget it. It's gone. And you know what? It answers back. It answers back and it says, I'm going to make the slavery even worse. And then what you do? You go back and look for comfort from the very thing that brought the slavery into your life. You go back to that addiction. You go back to that bondage. You go back to that very thing in a servile way. I'll lick your boots, Pharaoh, if you'll just make it easier on me. I'll forget who I am as a child of the living God. And I'll call you my master. I'm your servant. I'm your servant. It's just degrading. It's wrong. You almost want to cry out to Israel and say, what, do you love your slavery? And that's a complicated question, isn't it? Because when you ask, do you love your slavery, you say, no, Yes? No? I don't know. But I know it's very, very difficult. I know what it says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. It says that the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. Yet this is how it worked out. When God allowed and even performed the work of bringing freedom, it made them feel worse, at least for a time. Ladies and gentlemen, are you willing to let God work true freedom in your life 
even if it means that for a while it gets worse before it gets better. I hope so. Because I can't tell you how God's going to work in each individual life. Who knows, his working in your life isn't exactly the same as the person next to you. But there's some general principles, are there not? And often, not always, often, God allows it to get worse before he brings it into being better. So when they heard those words from Pharaoh, you're idle, you're idle, it just reflected to them the truth that Pharaoh hated Israel and he wanted them in perpetual bondage. Whatever it is that's holding you in bondage, whether it be an addiction or, or some sort of other sort of just, just thing that's just a darkness and a bondage and keeping you away from the liberty and the freedom that you should have in Jesus Christ, whatever it is, let me tell you something, it hates you. It does not want your best. I know it may please you from time to time, but actually it hates you. And it wants to destroy you. So here's Pharaoh and Moses and the people of Israel and the the, the elders or the officers of Israel went and they made their appeal to Pharaoh and they got shot down. And look what happens. Verse 20, right as they come out from their meeting with Pharaoh. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. What an awkward conversation that would have been. So, how'd the meeting go? Moses, ever since you started to help us, we're in worse bondage than ever. Let's start again, verse 20. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron and stood there to meet him. And they said, let the Lord look on you and judge because you've made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. The leaders of the children of Israel were not happy when they came from the presence of Pharaoh. And they thought it was all the fault of Moses and Aaron. Matter of fact, they said this in verse 21. Let the Lord look on you and judge. They were certain that God was on their side. They were certain that Moses was in the wrong. Why? Verse 21. You have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh. They believed that that was the wrong that Moses did. You see, when Israel was an obedient slave to Pharaoh, they thought he was their friend. Now that the idea of freedom had entered, Pharaoh showed how he felt about them all along. I'm fascinated by that statement. Verse 21, you've made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh. What? Really now, elders of Israel, you used to think he liked you? You used to think that he cared about you? And now that you've grumbled, now that you've made a revolt against his oppression, you're facing some of the blowback and you don't like it. Friends, can I just make a little spiritual analogy here? That Satan sometimes seems friendly to us when we accept his lordship. But when we start to be free in Jesus, then he'll often try to make life difficult for us. Now, listen, Exodus chapter 4, verse 31 says that at one time the children of Israel had a different attitude. This is how they acted when Moses first came to them. Exodus 4, 31. It says, so the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. You see, when Moses first said, hey, let's get us free from Egypt, they were all like, yeah, let's do it. But now that they're in it and it's difficult They're saying, we give up. Pharaoh, please, just let us be your slaves again. 
After the counterattack of Pharaoh, the faith, the excitement, all that worship that was described in Exodus 4.31, it was gone pretty quickly. My friends, here's the deal. You might think, God, where are you? What are you doing, God? You're messing this whole thing up. Aren't you supposed to give them freedom very quickly? No, no, no. You see, ladies and gentlemen, don't you see that if God had wanted to, he could have freed the children of Israel effortlessly. He goes into Pharaoh, I mean Moses, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, yeah, okay, go. And they just go. In theory, it could have happened that way. But God knew that's not what he wanted for the children of Israel, and it's not what he wanted for Egypt. And we'll see how that plays out in coming weeks. But friends, this is what you have to understand is simply this, that God allowed all of this. This wasn't a flaw. This was the design. God looks down from heaven and he says, all is going according to plan. Now, when I say that, and you immediately sort of relate it to your life, all is going according to plan. I understand that for some of you, that's a very difficult thing to hear. And I can't say that with with, with this understanding, I know everything that's going on in your life. You say, listen, that tragedy and this person that's very close to me, how can you say that that's according to God's plan? Well, listen, this is what I do know, is that what God wants to do in the aftermath of it, that's certainly according to his plan. I'm not trying to go into the discussion this morning about all the origins of evil and where this comes from and what Satan does and what our fallen world does and what the Lord does, on and on. You know, let's just leave that discussion for another time. It's a worthy discussion, but we'll leave it for another time. But can I just say, whatever despair, whatever misery you may find yourself in the midst in right now this morning, God has a plan in it. And maybe you've lost sight of that. Maybe you... Maybe you actually, you've almost appealed to that thing which gives you bondage for relief instead of seeking the Lord God. You see, God wanted to do something greater than bring Israel out of Egypt. He wanted to transform them as a people. He wanted to transform them from a slave people to a people who were fit for his promised land. And in doing that kind of transformation, God allowed this period of stretching. So what do we read next? Well, verse 22, we're going to kind of look at Moses and say, okay, Moses, here you are, the epitome of strength for Israel. You've got the faith. Moses, you've got the power. Well, let's look at it. Verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought this trouble on the people? Why is it that you've sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to the people. Nevertheless, you have not, excuse me, neither have you delivered your people at all. Pretty good question he asked in verse 22. Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Now, let me say first and foremost, there's something very, very good in Moses' words in verse 22. You know what's good about him? He's confused, he's angry, he's annoyed with what the Lord is doing, and what does he do? He talks to God about it. Did you know that you can do that? Now, I'm going to say something, and I hope you catch it in the spirit in which I say it, because I suppose it's not technically true. So just catch the spirit of what I'm going to say. 
When you talk to God, you don't have to be on your best behavior. You don't have to be phony. You can tell him how you really feel. If you're really confused and hurt and angry about what you think God is doing, then tell him so. Can I kill you on something? He already knows. (laughs) But do you know how beautiful and good it is for you to be honest before the Lord? I wonder if you do that enough. I wonder if you go to that private place where you're out on a walk or you're in a room and you're just around and you feel like you can even raise your voice to God. It's like, God, I don't, what are you doing, God? I don't get this at all. It was good that Moses felt the freedom to do it. It was good that Moses could say, God, I don't get this at all. What are you doing? You can talk that way to God. He understands. And listen, he'll change your heart as you do it. Because I can tell you how it's worked in my life a lot of times. I have that kind of conversation with God, and I let it all out. And before too long, what am I saying before God? Lord, I'm sorry. I I don't know why I wasn't trusting you this way. I, I don't know why I doubted you again. You've proven yourself to me again and again. But Lord, I'm just, I'm weak. I'm failing. You can talk that way to God. So Moses did very good in speaking his heart to God, but Moses did wrong in forgetting what God had said. Back in Exodus chapter 3, there at Mount Sinai on the burning bush, God told Moses, Moses, this isn't going to be easy. Pharaoh's not going to let you go easy. And it's like, oh, I forgot all about that, Lord. You see, there's something within Moses and there's something within us that for whatever reason, we want it to be easy. Look, I, I don't condemn you or myself for that. It's human nature. We're like electricity. We want to follow the path of least resistance. That's just us. We just kind of want to be comfortable and easy. And sometimes we get, we get to thinking that that's God's ultimate plan for our lives. It's not. God's ultimate plan for your life is to bring beautiful transformation and new life, new life in you and to make you into a son or daughter of God, transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. And listen, there's a lot of comfort and blessing on the road to that, but there's also some real stretching and some real challenge along the way, and maybe God's working that in your life right now. Nevertheless, Moses had to say, verse 22, why is it you've sent me? He's doubting his mission. And then in verse 23, he says, neither have you delivered your people at all. Something in Moses' heart hoped that it would happen all easy. Doesn't that work that way for Moses? Doesn't work that way for us. So as we leave out here from Exodus chapter 5, in a sense, nothing is resolved. But you just wait. In chapter 6, God is going to speak to Moses. But please, can we take away this absolutely critical truth? It's that when God intends to confront evil, there's a cost involved. When God confronted evil in Egypt, there was a cost involved, and the Egyptians didn't pay all the cost. There were people in, in, among the children of Israel who had their backs whipped because God was confronting evil on behalf of the Egyptians. There was a cost to pay. When God confronts evil in the world today, there's a cost. 
Listen, there's a lot of evil in the world today. There's a lot of human trafficking. There's a lot of slavery. There's a lot of deprivation. There's a lot of oppression. And I praise God that there's thousands upon thousands of Christians reaching out in some way small and in some way great, bringing hope and light and blessing to this world. But listen, when they do it, there's a cost to pay, is there not? Here's the third thing. When God did the greatest job of confronting evil ever, he did it at the cross. And there was a great price to pay for that, was there not? God said, I'll pay the ultimate price to confront evil. So therefore, if there was a price to pay in the confrontation of evil in Egypt, in the world today, and at the cross especially, should it surprise you that when God is doing this transforming work in our life, that sometimes there's a price to pay and it's not all easy? The war against sin is costly, and Jesus won the battle. But even in our identification with him and in our participation in his victory, it's going to cost us something. May God give us the courage to say, no, Lord, God helping us, Jesus in us, we're going to to be courageous and pay that cost. And I pray especially that God will give some encouragement to some discouraged souls this morning. So let's pray for that. Father, That is my prayer. I think, Lord, I think about those who have been in bondage a long time. And, Lord, when when you're in bondage a long time, you can really come to love your oppressor. I pray, Lord, that you'd break each and every individual of that here today. That rather counting the cost we would yield ourselves to you, Jesus, and say, transform us, change us, work in us. Lord, we just want to speak honestly before you and we say that that if before we just thought it would be all easy and good following you, we want you to change that in us. Lord, if we thought it would be all hardship and misery following you, we want you to change that in us as well. We want you to build our trust in you as the God who knows what we need and when we need it. And with that, we'll have confidence in you, Lord. So do it, Jesus. Do it in our lives. Oh, you, Jesus, you great hero who paid the ultimate price at the cross for us. It's in you we put our trust. In Jesus' name, amen.